lifetime ago, an American airplane dropped one bomb on Hiroshima. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this. people I think is good people. They are they have not to charge with the guilty of all the lies. Welcome back, everybody, to the Cold War podcast. Uh, my name is Cameron Riley. I'm Ray Harris. What's up, good looking? You talking to me or yourself? <laughs> I know that's I know that's what you say every morning when you get up and you're shaving. You look at yourself well, and you, have, you go, You hey. have to have positive reinforcements. Hey. You get up, how's it going? Yeah. yeah. I, w- I, me- yeah. I meant to say what's cooking, good looking, and ask you if that's something Aussies know, because I was going to say that to your mom when I met her. Just that the click, no. click or the, yeah, the what, what's you know, cooking good looking? What's, what's yeah. cooking good looking? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, no, she'll get that. Yeah, cool. yeah, yeah. Right. Um, <clears throat> in our last episode, we had Jeff Hogan from the uh, other Cold War podcast. The the, uh, the what I like to think of is the alternate universe <laughs> Cold War podcast. In a in a universe where we don't exist, you have the Jeff Hogan right. Cold War podcast. Exactly. Um, uh, but before that, in episode seventy eight. We uh, talked. We were still talking about the development of the atom bomb. We were talking about them sort of getting ready for the the Trinity test. They they picking out a spot to do it. Mm-hmm. They called it Alam. Well, it was a place. They picked a place called uh, Jornada del Moreto, the Journey of Death, um, uh, which they called Alamogordo, uh, the, the Alamogordo bombing range, which means. As I said, large or fat cottonwood, right. which is also what I call my penis. And then Oppenheimer renamed it Trinity, the test in the test site he called Trinity. Right. Um, so what we're going to do this week is sort of carry on from there, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to talk about the lead up to the Trinity test. The first ever yeah. nuclear explosion con- uh, conducted, is that the right word? No, Performed. performed. Sounds sexual, but okay, by uh, the human race. Now, there's no way we can uh, really convey this, but as you can imagine, because this is war, there's a whole bunch of things going on at the same time. So they're getting closer. They're getting ready to test this bad boy. As early as late April, they're already, there's certain groups who are already trying to decide, you know, what do we do with the bomb? Do we use it? Um, what cities should be hit? What should be the target? That kind of stuff. But uh, between the interim committee and the Met Lab, they pretty much, if it came down to this, that they recommended, even though the military was going to do what they wanted to do anyway, they 
they pretty much recommended, you know, you need to use the bomb as soon as you possibly can. Don't give any, don't give any warning. Try to hit a, um, a munitions factory with other buildings nearby so we can test how powerful this thing is. But of course, they're one, they, what the scientists wanted was you have to tell our allies, you have to tell Stalin before you use this because that's only fair. So there's a lot of moral um, questions that have to be answered. But at the end of the day, does the bomb work and what is Truman going to do with it? So back to Alamogordo, the army leased a ranch in the middle of the Jornada del Muerto mm-hmm. site and converted it into a military police station and a field laboratory. So um, to, 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 to turn the part of it into a field laboratory, they uh, vacuumed it. Mm-hmm. Walter White. To make sure style. it was sterile, right. clean. Then they uh, sealed its windows with black electrical tape, mm. which all of which just reminded me of your infamous kill room that you have at the back of your house in Virginia that um, <laughs> Those you've sent me photos Those snakes are going to learn one of these days. So, oh, weren't snakes look like homeless people to me. But um, Those anyway, are are we not supposed to talk about that? No. It was, it's, yeah. Uh, we're not supposed no, to no, talk about no, your no, kill no, room no. on no. air. Can I ask before before we um, move on? Sorry, I, hmm. I I cannot get over the fact that the army, the United States Army, the United States government leased this ranch from David McDonald. I mean, if they came up to you and went, "Hi, we'd like to lease this area," would you ask them what it was going to be used for? Obviously, they're not going to tell you, but the idea that they're going to attest an atomic bomb and then give this back to this guy just seems pretty un unfair <laughs> to me. Yeah, uh, <clears throat> Mr. Harris, uh, uh, Cameron Riley uh, from the uh, United States military, we'd like to like to have a few words. Yes, sir. Uh, do, do, can I? Do you mind if I come no, in? No, no, please, can, please can, come on into my ranch. Invite me in? Please come on into thank my you, ranch. Thank you, thank you. Do you Do you mind if I uh, light up my pipe? Uh, I'm not really. Cr- I'm not a big fan of smoke, but please go ahead. There's a war on. Who cares? Go ahead. Go ahead. Thank you, thank you, Mr. Harris. <clears throat> So I'm just cleaning my pipe here. I'm just preparing it, uh, getting, uh-huh. getting my tobacco out. Mr. Harris. Yes. <clears throat> oh, so, so, somehow when I fake smoking a pipe, I feel like a military guy. I don't know something about that. <laughs> Mr. Harris. <clears throat> yeah. Yes. Got it. Let me, let me ask you a question, sir. Yes, sir. Do you, are you a patriot, Mr. Harris? You're damn straight I am. What can I do for you today, sir? Mr. Harris. The United States military would like to uh, lease this here ranch in uh, Jornada del Muerto uh, from 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 you, sir, for a period of time to be uh, d- to be uh, discussed at a later date. I'd be plum honored, sir. Can I ask what you're going to well, do? Well, that's very good of you. Well, yes, you can, Mister Harris. It's uh, it's uh, to be quite frank, it's top secret. Uh, I I can't cannot reveal the nature of what we'll be doing here. But let me just say. Okay, well, you, you look like a trustworthy fellow. We're going to drop a big fucking atom bomb in the middle of your property, uh, Mr. Harris. Uh-huh. Uh, um, do you, uh, are you familiar with uh, nuclear physics, sir? This may come as a surprise to you, but no, I'm not. Well, all you need to know, Mr. Harris, is we're going we're gonna to drop a big fucking bomb in, in your property, and uh, we're going to use it to kill 
The Japs. Hell yes, do you, sir. Do you hate the Jap? Do you hate the Japs, Mr. Harris? Gosh darn it, yes I do. I know the Bible says I, I shouldn't, but gosh darn it, yes I do. Well, uh, you know, it depends on your reading of the Bible there, Mr. Harris. Uh, you know, uh, according to St. Augustine, uh, you know, one of the, the, the foundational thinkers of Christianity, uh-huh. uh, it's okay to torture and or kill uh, the, the heathen. Well, because is, it, yeah. uh, it, 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 you know, when he gets when he gets to the pearly gates, Mister Harris, he's he's gonna be a believer then. You believe God <laughs> on me, and uh, so so uh, it's okay. It's it's justified. Well, hellfire. Anyway, Mister Harris, the Bible. Go ahead, sir. Well, talk about hell, hellfire, man. This thing we're gonna <laughs> drop is gonna be hellfire, and it's uh, in your property with your horses and your cattle, and uh, future generations of your family. <laughs> Um, you might want you, you might want to ask me, Mr. Harris, if there are any long-term side effects of dropping an atom bomb in the middle of your fucking property. Um, to which I would reply, Mr. Harris, if you were to ask me that question, um, I'd stop secret. I, I really can't tell you. Maybe you should have paid attention uh, when you were doing nuclear physics in high school. Uh, that's all I can well, say. Well, sir, where do I sign? <laughs> On my titties. Oh, whoa, no, sorry. Wrong club. Wrong um, pen. And see. <laughs> um. <laughs> I was just kind of fucked up of the United States government to do that to this guy. Here's, here's going to be a bunch of fallout. Here's your land back, sir. Thank you for your time. What, did they give it back to him, though? I, I don't... I don't think so. I, I mean, there's a museum there yeah, now. Yeah, I saw um, pictures. It's pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I don't think uh, he got it back. Um, That's probably for the I best. I think they... Yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying, I don't, I'm no nuclear scientist, but I'm just saying that sounds right to me. <laughs> yeah, no, Alamo uh, uh, Gordo. I don't think... I don't think they gave it back to him. I okay. think it was, it was, you know, it was top secret after that. Yeah. You know, there's an Air Force base mm-hmm. there now. Okay. And... Um, yeah, I should go check that out. It's just a drive, a couple days' drive, no problem. Really? Cool. Uh, well, we should do that. Road trip. trip. Yeah. After we, get, after we get back from Europe. Nice. So they made a kill room, and now <laughs> nearly two miles to the northwest of their laboratory, they marked out the spot which would become ground zero. Ooh, Yeah. Now I thought it was interesting. So, now, so they've got their they've got their place. They've got their police station. They've got their field laboratory. They've got this big open area. They've got their ground zero picked out. And now it's time to get down to brass tacks. So they have they build three concrete roofed observation bunkers that have bulletproof glass dug into them. And these are going to be about five and a half miles or ten thousand yards. There's going to be three of them: one to the north, one to the west, and one to the south of Ground Zero. So they can observe this if everything does go off according to plan. Now, uh, before we before we get too much further, I want to talk about the term Ground Zero. Yeah. Very negative connotations, so is, obviously, in America. Does it? Really? Why? Because that's what we call the uh, side of, uh, Twin Towers of 9-11. Really? Mm-hmm. Ground Zero? Yeah. Really? Yeah. I thought it was just called the Twin Towers. No, now you it's... You call it Ground Zero. Ground Zero. After huh. it happened, it was called Ground yeah. Zero, yeah. Anyway, I didn't mean to disrupt your flow. Oh, yeah. Wikipedia does mention that. Yeah. World Trade Center soon became known as uh, Ground Zero. 
Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, well, I, I just think it's interesting that this piece of uh, jargon, mm-hmm. which came out of the Trinity test, the, the first ah. usage of the term ground zero began with the Trinity test. Um, the strategic bombing survey, uh, uh, which did a, an analysis of the attacks on Japan, also then use that term. For convenience, the term ground zero will be used to designate the point on the ground directly beneath the point of detonation or air zero. Hmm. So bomb gets exploded in the air. It's air zero, point on the ground directly below it is uh, ground zero. William Lawrence, who was the uh, reporter that was embedded with the Manhattan Project, mm-hmm. said that Zero was the code name given to the spot chosen for the Trinity test. Ah. So there you go. Like Ground Zero, that's where it comes from. I, I wondered at the time when I was preparing if it had a previous association, if it had been used in the English language before the Trinity test right. for something. But nope, nope, this is where it comes from. Ground Zero. Cool. So, yeah, they have these observation bunkers with bulletproof glass portholes 10,000 yards northwest and south of Ground Zero, which is where they're, all the scientists are going to be standing, filming, uh, watching what's going on. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, but you know, Ray, I'd be want to be a lot fucking further away <laughs> than 10,000 yards. Yeah, I'm wondering about – they're only 5.6 miles. Now, obviously, some of them are going to be even further away in case something does go wrong. But as we're going to see, I mean, this is some serious stuff. They don't really know what's going to happen. What about all the radioactivity? We're probably going to go into that in just a minute. But, yeah, 5.6 miles is not far enough away for me. Um, they, you know, they, they, they wanted to see what's going on. Um, I would have just put the cameras there <laughs> and ran away. Put them on a timer and yeah, fucked off a lot <laughs> further away. away. But maybe that's why I'm not a scientist. Um, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> or a war hero. So they wa- yeah. they they wanted they wanted to see what the symmetry of the implosion looked like. They wanted to see how much energy is released. They wanted to be able to estimate the damage the bomb would cause. They mm-hmm. wanted to study the the, the, the fireball that, that came out of it. And they also wanted to be able to test the radioactivity that came out of this. Now, they, they already understood, based on the theory, that there would be radioactivity. Mm-hmm. But uh, they weren't really sure how much would be produced, and they, they wanted to be able to test that. So leading up to the day of the test, they're hoping that the weather's going to stay good. They're hoping that the meteorological conditions um, would carry the radioactivity up into most of it up into the upper atmosphere, so they could so it could spread around the world and kill <laughs> as many people and crops as possible. It was their thinking at the time. Um, they were they were actually talking about doing the um, test. The, like the timing of the test was in the middle of the thunderstorm season <laughs> in New Mexico, right? Um, and they weren't really no they they weren't really sure what impact that was going to have. But I like the fact that the army 
was on standby to mm-hmm. evacuate the people in the surrounding areas if something went wrong. Oh, my God. Now, they didn't say um, to the locals, obviously, hey, we're going to be testing uh, <laughs> this new kind of weapon that could go really badly, uh, quite honestly. It's going to go um, really well or not. Yeah, and it could kill, like, everybody. We, we don't know. Um, everybody. They didn't tell people that. They were just like, well, if it goes badly, we'll just turn up in the middle of the night and get them out of their homes. It'll be fine. No one will care. They'll be sure they'll be good. (laughs) We're within our rights to do this. So two towers. Two towers were built. One was 800 yards south of Ground Zero, Mm -hmm. and they were both made of heavy wooden beams, 20 feet high, with a big, broad platform, like a dance floor on the top. Because uh, they they like to dance, these physicists. They're like, well, <laughs> why build a dance floor at Alamogordo separate? To, we'll just build our dance floor on top of the platform, dance all night, get drunk, and then finish the night off. <laughs> You've heard, you know, you want to finish the night off with a big bang. Well, we're going to finish the night off. <laughs> this is going to be a the best party ever. I think that's where the disco ball was invented. Uh, they hung one down uh, over the platform so they could get funky to some lights and sounds. But yeah, by the end of the party, it was going to go off with the biggest bang in history of disco. And uh, there was this Harvard's physics professor um, who's uh, who had the job of um, sort of organizing everything on the ground um, at Trinity, um, a guy called Kenneth T. Bainbridge. Mm-hmm. Um so, you know, the... the <laughs> He's a Harvard man. To He's a Harvard man, just to let everybody Harvard, know. Harvard, Harvard. Parked car on the <laughs> um So one day the contractors who built these two uh, wooden platforms got in one morning and noticed that uh, the, the one that was 800 yards south of Ground Zero had disappeared. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, the and they storm yeah, came along that, and took it. Yeah, maybe, or maybe somebody just blew it up. So <laughs> it turns out that this Harvard's physics professor Kenneth Bainbridge um, had loaded the uh, second wooden platform with canisters of radioactive waste, <clears throat> surrounded it with a hundred tons of high explosives. And then uh, before dawn on the 7th of May, Mm -hmm. he blew it up. Uh, It was the largest chemical explosion ever. And he did it to test the instruments for the the testing of the bomb to see if it would measure everything uh, appropriately. Now, I don't know about you, Cam, but when I read that, I was like, I know we're talking about the atomic bomb here, but just the idea of 100 tons of high explosives, I mean, forget the radioactive waste for a second, but the 100 tons of high explosives setting up on a ta- tower, I mean, that just boggles my mind. Um, and then he and, he, and it goes off, I mean, how did, how in the heck did everybody in the area not see that? But but anyway, I, I just thought that was amazing. So you're right. So by the time morning comes, it is completely gone, obliterated, and that's not even the big bomb to come yet. Yeah. Jeez. Actually, it, I've got I've got some great stuff when they actually set off the big bomb too. Um, some of the press releases that, that were put out by the military uh, to, to 
spin what had happened, a quite classic. Anyway, so he tested that. Uh, turns out um, the tests didn't go well. The, the equipment didn't work, and uh, he, was, he was a little bit unhappy. Um, but the actual tower for Ground Zero had been built uh, somewhere else, prefabricated in steel, was shipped to the Trinity site in sections where it was re-erected. Concrete footings were sunk into the ground 20 feet deep. Damn. The four feet of the tower were 35 feet apart and the tower rose 100 feet above the ground. And if I remember correctly, the 20 feet of cement going into the ground <clears throat> that also had, it was already a rocky desert floor. So, yes, yeah, so you got rocks, you've got this 20 feet thick of cement. I mean, yeah, you need something like that to hold this very high tower and what's about to go on top of it. So on top was another dance floor um, <laughs> because Bainbridge just blew up the last one. Guys Damn it, Bainbridge. Like, I was going to ask that nurse out tonight, and now there's no dance floor. I'll build you another one. Yeah, you Hawkeye Pierce <laughs> came back to the <laughs> martini still. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, um, so on, the, on top of the actual Ground Zero Tower, um, they had uh, a removable centre section on the platform. Uh, corrugated iron sheets on three sides, the open side facing uh, the bunker uh, in the west where there was a camera mm -hmm. so they could film what was happening. Um, now, above the platform was a $20,000, and we're talking $90, $45 here, right. electrically driven heavy-duty winch. Yeah. They're going to lift something big. Your mom is so fat. No, <laughs> it took a $20,000 electrically driven heavy winch to get her pants. No, I don't know. But, uh, yeah, I mean, th this is – these. do you get the sense that they're over-engineering everything because they really don't know what's going to happen or what they're going to have to deal with? Yeah, well, I don't know if it's over-engineering, but it's engineered to be solid. Now, but they right. – I like the fact that they're combining – the most advanced theoretical physics known to man at the time right. with a little bit of superstition because you want to cover all your bases. So on the 12th of July, when the um, plutonium core was driven to the test area in a sedan, um, <laughs> the, the non-nuclear components of the bomb left for the test site at 12.01 a.m. on Friday the 13th of July. Right. Apparently, the idea was to put what they called a reverse English on the bad, on the bad luck associated with Friday the 13th. Do you know what a reverse English is, Ray? Uh, the only thing I know is about when you're hitting a cue ball to make it spin, but that's all I know. That's certainly no, I was because when you, when you cut somebody's balls and twist them... <laughs> Left while you're jerking them off with your right hand. No, um, now I know. <clears throat> yes, billiards. The spinning motion uh, when you uh, on a on a cue ball, which prevents it from moving in a certain direction. So they 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 thought <laughs> if if they left at twelve o one a.m. on Friday the thirteenth, it would be good luck, right? For some reason, as opposed to Bad luck. 
Um, yeah. Because they, they, they drove the components um, through Santa Fe in a convoy with a siren. <laughs> in, the middle, in the middle of the night. Oh my yeah. God! But again, I, I but I, I see your point, and I agree with it. Here, here are some of the most brilliant people on the planet at the time doing something. Like you said, every time they do something, they're breaking new ground, and they're worried about Friday the Thirteenth. I wonder how many of them had uh, rabbit's foot in their pocket. I don't know, but yeah. uh, I, I just found that whole thing. I'm like, really, guys? But I guess if you're doing something like this, I guess you take all the luck you can get. Yeah, I guess, I guess. Um, so they're, they're getting it all to Alamogordo um, and, and where they're going to rebuild it all. Now, uh, the the bomb, the nickname of the bomb was the Gadget. Mm-hmm. Um, go, go, Gadget, atom bomb. <laughs> uh, and they, they assembled it in the ranch house <laughs> at um, Alamogordo. Now, I like this. Uh, before they started assembling it, one of the physicists, a guy called Robert Bacher, right. asked the army for a receipt. That's only fair. <laughs> well, why? Why did he want a receipt? Well, th- this is this is the way I re- this is the way I took it. I mean, technically, Los Alamos is a part of the University of California, and no matter what happens with this test, millions of dollars worth of plutonium is probably going to disappear, whether it blows up the way they want it to, or or, or it malfunctions, or whatever. But the point is, the University of California is responsible for this, and this plutonium, which costs a ton of money, a shit ton actually, is soon not going to be there one way or the other. You want to get a receipt. You want to be able to give something to your accounting department to cover your ass, no matter what happens in the next couple of days. That's how I read it. This guy is just a good academic, a good paper pusher. He's going to cover his backside. Imagine that conversation. Uh, so uh, <laughs> government comes to the University of California and says, uh, where's that plutonium? Um uh, well, we blew it up. You what? You blew it up? Yeah. Uh, it took us years to make dollars, that. $2 billion, bucko. Yeah. You owe me $2.2 billion. Yeah. Yeah. I got a so, receipt. So uh, they, they put it all together. Um, they uh, insert the neutron initiator mm-hmm. in between the two hemispheres of plutonium. That's the thing that's going to trigger the explosion. I like the fact that it was uh, hot to the touch already as they were inserting it due to the um, alpha particles that it was already releasing. Yeah, so let's get back to the bomb. So yeah. uh, it was already it was already hot, yeah. this thing, um, which I, I didn't realise would be the case, uh, releasing these alpha particles. Now, the plutonium ball with the initiator inside it, is then placed inside a cylinder mm-hmm. of U-238 tamper. Ooh, okay. Plutonium inside the uranium. I'm already getting Cause nervous. Because re- <laughs> remember, the way the plutonium bomb works is um, you sort of use the uranium, blow up the uranium to compress... The plutonium, so then the plutonium blows up and you get the, which is why it's thermonuclear, you get a right. two-part explosion, yeah. Um, then they drove the core 
from the ranch house out to ground zero, gets there about 3.18 p.m. How fast do you think uh, they were driving? Pr- as fast as possible, <laughs> man, because that's part of the reverse English, right? You want to toy with fate as much as possible. So do your worst, fate. <laughs> You're giving fate the middle finger. Okay, all right. Just no, checking. but I... I I don't think a, a uranium bomb goes off if it rattles. I mean, this has to be detonated with a detonator, and it's it's got to be a deliberate thing. So I don't think uh, this is a problem. But I guess um, my, my point is if you touch it and it's already warm from the alpha particles, I'm already thinking, I've got cancer. What the fuck? I can go as fast as I want in this van. <laughs> I mean, there, there's, there's no downside. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So... Um, uh, so they get it out to ground zero. Now, the the sphere of high explosives that, that this is going to sit inside was already there. It arrived earlier that day. So they they take the, the plutonium core that's inside a U-238 tamper, mm-hmm. um, and then they put that inside a hollow globe of U-238, and then that's wrapped with explosives. Okay. And at 1 p.m., the winch had been used to hoist two-ton ball of high explosives off the back of a truck up to the top of the uh, tower. Now, I think those guys were being careful. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> easy, easy, yeah, yeah. But it was only two tons. I mean, Bainbridge a couple of days ago <laughs> exploded 100 tons. tons. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Two tons, that's nothing. Yeah. Um, now, Norris Bradbury, who was the physicist in charge of assembling the bomb, imagine that as your job. So uh, on Monday morning, you're like, so Norris, what did you get up to last week? Oh, um, assembled the world's first atom bomb. What about you? Yeah. I, I uh, made a podcast. Um, <laughs> he said, we were scared to death that we would drop it. Oh, God. Because they didn't trust the $20,000 hoist and it was the only bomb available. We were afraid that we were afraid of, oh, it wasn't that we were afraid of setting it off, but we might damage it in some way. Right. Let the team down. And this thing was built, you know, remember it had to be precision built because you had to, uh, it had to implode, compress perfectly it's the beer can experiment right to to make it work so if you if something gets knocked out of place and it and it explodes imperfectly or implodes imperfectly or explodes and then imp- whatever the fuck you know what i'm saying <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah um yeah. the whole thing the whole thing could you know, like not work um so anyway, they get it assembled then they erect a tent a white tent over the whole thing Mm. ready for the uh, cylindrical plug that's going to go in it, which will have the plutonium spheres and the initiator into the centre of the tamper to uh, 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 get the thing ready to detonate. Yeah, and of course, and uh, ever since they've been doing working on this since 1942, they've been running into one problem after another. They're getting down to the finish line here, but the problems haven't stopped. And even as they're trying to put the um, to assemble the plug to put it in the middle of the the center of the high explosive shell, it won't fit. It's too big for some reason. They they don't figure it out at first. Mm. But this thing will not fit into God. the hole that they've left to get it, it just into the reminds center. Reminds me of 
<laughs> reminds me of Vegas, man. Like, <laughs> it's too big. It won't fit. Uh, and that's when I unwisely said, I don't think you're trying hard enough. And <laughs> I had to stand up on the plane on the way home. <laughs> Yes. The point is that, yeah, they're still running into problems because, like we said earlier, I mean, these guys are reinventing the wheel with almost every step of what they're doing. Yeah, one of the guys on the assembly team, Boyce McDaniel, sounds like a fake name if ever I've heard one, (laughs) said, imagine our consternation when, as we started to assemble the plug in the hole, deep down in the centre of the high-explosive shell, it would not enter. Dismayed, we halted our efforts in order not to damage the pieces and stopped to think about it. Could we have made a mistake? So what they learned was, and what Cam hasn't learned, is that just because it doesn't fit doesn't mean you should ram it in. I mean, sometimes that's not the answer. No, they did what I did. They just pulled out some (laughs) KY jelly. They lubed it up. Then they rammed it in. They got a running start. (laughs) (laughs) They got a running start. And that's, you talk about precision, precision drilling people. Oh my God. You can't miss. You can't play around with that. Anyway, I can't believe we're still doing Vegas jokes. <laughs> Two years later. Two. Reminds me of, uh, you know who Dame Edna Everidge is? Say the name again. Dame Edna Everidge. I don't think so, no. <laughs> uh, really? That's, that's, that's funny. You don't know who Dame Edna Everidge is. Um, there's an Australian comedian called Barry Humphreys. Mm-hmm. I think he's Sir Barry Humphreys now. Um, and uh, for decades, I'm talking about since the 50s, he's been doing this character called Dame Edna Everidge. He dresses up in drag mm. and plays in a, like an Australian. She started off in the 50s when he was doing Edna as um, like a, just your average Australian housewife mm-hmm. uh, in doing it in drag. Um, but now she's she's a dame and she's like the rich sort of celebrity kind of personality. And he's still doing her after all these years. Uh, and he had a like he had a TV show in America for years. Um, I think in like the two thousands or something like that. Anyway, he does another character called Sir Les Patterson. I saw him live once doing the Sir Les Patterson thing. So Les Patterson is this gross, fat, disgusting uh, politician. Um, sort of uh, throwback to less politically correct times, like mm-hmm. a, you know, like a, like a, a seventies style politician, um, just uncouth and lecherous. Anyway, saw him live once, and he said, "As Dave, as, as Celeste, he said, you know, I'm very, I'm very romantic with the ladies, very sensitive. When I make, when I make love to a lady, I slowly slip my penis inside her." And then I walk slowly forwards. I'm very gentle. Brag much? <laughs> That's romance. Uh, anywho. Um, yes. So what are they going to do, Ray? The plug won't fit in the hole. Well. Two, bi- two billion dollars, <laughs> three or four years of work. Right. And the plug won't fit in the hole. Well, fortunately, at least Bacher. Let's see here. I know I know that uh, Boyce McConnell was from Cornell. I'm trying to remember where Bacher was from. It might have been Harvard or California. 
our university accounted for. But he realized something. So again, these guys are brilliant. They didn't panic. They sat down, lit up the cigarettes because fuck, they're going to get cancer anyway. They're all dealing with atomic stuff here. And he realizes that at the ranch house, the house had had been hot. So the plug that they were trying to put in had expanded. The tamper, insulated by the explosives wrapped around it, did not. It was still cool. So what you do, you take the two items that you need to be on the same temperature, you put them together, you let them touch, go out and smoke a couple cigarettes, come back later, the temperature has equalized, and finally the plug went into its place. And the last block of explosives was, wait for it, scotch taped into place. We've spent $2.2 billion. We've even got a $20,000 winch. We've used a whole bunch of the United States Silver Reserve. We've also got gold plating on parts of this, but we're going to use scotch tape to put the last part into place. That's American ingenuity. It's scotch. It's not American. <laughs> That's Scottish. Scottish. That's Scott. Americans using Scottish ingenuity. How's that? <laughs> I just love the fact that, uh, you know, these guys, the, the world's greatest scientists, mm-hmm. forgot that heat makes shit expand. <laughs> and, yeah. <laughs> and they had, to, they had to sit and figure that out. I just, I, just the- I mean, it, yeah, it, it's a great, great scene in a film, right? They're, <laughs> they're just about to do this thing and it just... They're like trying push. to shove it in. Yeah. Don't push too hard. What? You might break it. What? Push um, it too hard solves everything. No, not in this time. Yeah. Yeah. And so they have to sit down and try and figure out what went wrong. And then they figure out it's uh, heat. And then, this, as you said, the solution was that simple. Well, we'll just leave them together so they equalize. And uh, then they came back and it slipped in as easy as... <laughs> no. But and there's, there's there's other obstacles that we haven't mentioned because there there was a lot of them. But again, these guys are literally figuring things out. And besides being theoretical phys- physicists, they also have engineers, real world people who are used to dealing with practical problems. Um, and and again, they're just making a great team under Oppenheimer who are figuring stuff out as as these problems arise. So. The detonators were installed the following day. So at 8 a.m. on the 15th of July, Mm -hmm. the gadget is hoisted up on top of the steel 100 feet high tower. Um, And they stopped at 15 feet, though. (laughs) I like this. They get up 15 feet and they stop. And a bunch of GIs ran in with army issue mattresses to put underneath it. In case <laughs> it fell. In Couldn't the GIs the just tw- stand there and catch it? Yeah, that's right. In case the $20,000 winch <laughs> broke and the thing dropped to the ground, they got mattresses and it would yeah. bounce off the mattresses, <clears throat> then they would catch it. But the fact that they're army-issued mattresses, you know these things have got to be thin as paper. So, again, decent plan yeah. on paper, not very effective in reality. <laughs> Now, while all this was being done, uh, the news came back that the measurements from the test firing that uh, our mate did uh, indicated that the whole thing's going to be a failure. Yeah. Um, George Bogdanovich Kiskiakovsky. Nice. Thank you. 
uh, got the blame for this. Kistiakovsky was a Ukrainian-born physicist who ran X-Division, which was the team that, that developed um, Wolverine's skeleton sure. made of adamantium. Uh, they later uh, developed uh, uh, the shape charges for imploding the ball. But um, he was adamant. Get it? Adamant? <laughs> Wolverine's nice. skeleton was made of adamantium. Thanks. But he was adamant <laughs> that everything was right. He said, uh, Oppenheimer became so emotional that I offered him a month's salary against $10 that our implosion charges would work. Yeah, he knew his shit. Um, yeah. But the test that they had done said that uh, it wasn't going to work. He's going, no, fuck your test. I know what I'm doing. I If I can build Wolverine skeleton... <laughs> I can do shape charges for a bomb. Yeah, I got this. No, but but seriously, picture being surrounded by a whole bunch of scientists. Everybody's got this PhDs all over the place. You couldn't throw a rock and not hit a PhD. And and Oppenheimer himself and all these people are giving you shit coming down on you saying, we've just got the results back. This is not going to work. And for that guy to stand there and go, fuck you. I know this is going to work. In fact, I will bet you. I mean, that's pretty ballsy, but that's, I guess that's the kind of mentality you need to be involved in a project like this and to, and to move it forward from theory to reality. Yeah, these guys, these physicists are all... The A-team. Yeah, they're hardcore. Like, they don't fuck around. I like it. They're like smart, aggressive, ambitious, A-type personalities, a lot of them. Yeah, yeah. They're afraid of Friday the 13th, but other than that, they're pretty tough. (laughs) (laughs) Now, while all this is going on, little boy... The uh, uranium bomb with the gun mechanism, it's named after um, Churchill's penis, was leaving Los Alamos for the Kirtland Air Force Base in Albuquerque, mm-hmm. where it's going to be flown to San Francisco, where it's going to be loaded on the USS Indianapolis, um, padlocked to the deck in, an, in a big wooden crate, and then uh, being sailed to the island of Tinian, get ready to be dropped on Japan. Now, why aren't they testing Little Boy, right? Hmm. Um, that's a really good question. I was going to come back with when they put it on the ship and they put it in the crate just to throw everybody off. The crate was marked 15,000 fleshlights, size large. But I don't know the answer to your question. Well, they didn't test the uranium bomb because they didn't think they had to. It was Mm. pretty straightforward. They were pretty sure it was going to work. All of the components had been tested individually, Ah. but they hadn't done a full test of the gun-type nuclear weapon until they dropped Little Boy on Hiroshima. They were like, you know, it's just it's going to work. The physics is straightforward. It's solid, Yeah. yeah. Nothing complex about this. We know what we're doing. It's going to work. Trust me. That's right. So then I said, well, why do you need to drop it on a city full of civilians and women and children if you know it's going to work? Now, like, don't don't ask those questions. We're just going to do that. Yeah. yeah. We'll make you disappear. We know it's going to work. We don't know what 400,000 people with this skin shearing off their body looks like. 
that's really what we want to see next. You know, we, we, um, yeah. Scientific, we're scientific curiosity. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. We're curious. But then the good news comes that, that we were talking about the instruments that they were all wrong. The instruments were screwed up. In fact, even if the um, implosion had been perfect during the testing, it still would have registered wrong. So, um, Kistiakowski, or however you say his name, was once again um, accepted back into the um, tribe of scientists. They were giving him shit, and now he's okay once again. Bing! Bang! Um, Big Bing. Um, Now, uh, Groves, Bush, Conan, Lawrence, Farrell, Better, Teller, Chadwick, the head of the British contingent, and the guy who discovered the neutron all mm-hmm. arrived in the test area, and it's pouring with rain. Blame it on the rain. So they're all in the control bunker to the south, 5.7 miles to the south. Groves and Oppenheimer are talking about what to do if the weather mm-hmm. didn't break in time for the test, which was scheduled at 4 a.m. Yeah. 4 a.m. being the uh, enough time... So if it went well, they could smoke some weed at 4.20, basically, was the thinking behind that. <laughs> well, how, how else do you celebrate, you know, almost igniting the, the uh, atmosphere on fire? you got to use some cannabis. <laughs> or not doing that. Oh, huh? Hey, we not, didn't destroy the we, world. We didn't destroy the world. Let's get Let's light up. Yeah. Uh, but at 3.30, the rain didn't look like clearing up, so they pushed the uh, time back to 5.30, when their meteorologist, Jack Hubbard, nice name. said there would be a break in the weather, Grove <laughs> said to Hubbard, you better be right on this or I will hang you. Um, which I think is uh, a right. slight, slight over, you know, but, reaction that escalated quickly. Yeah. But, um, but, yeah. but Groves, even after he said that, he, raised, he, still, he still had enough in him to turn it up to 11 because then he calls the governor of New Mexico, waking him up. And he says, you know, I don't mean to disturb you. Oh, fuck, I don't care. I'm a general. But anyway, you might have to declare martial law. I'll get back to you if we, if we need that, okay? And then he hangs up on him and never talks to him again. Yeah, don't panic. Uh, no reason to panic, but you might need to declare martial law at some point in the next uh, two yeah. hours. So uh, go back to sleep. Um, we'll let you know if you need Pleasant it. dreams. They actually had soldiers posted in these nearby towns. Wow. Uh, just in case they needed to declare martial law and have everyone evacuated. Now, the, the, yeah. the city Sorry, of Amarillo, Texas... Uh, which had about 70,000 people living in it at the time, was only 300 miles away. Oh, God. Um, and, and so I don't know why he called the New Mexico governor when Texas is... Why didn't he call the Texas governor? Call him ah, all. fuck him. Screw it. We'll just invade Texas again. <laughs> <laughs> We've done it before. We'll do yeah. it again. The first time yeah. was a warm-up, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And... Yeah. Oh, sorry. And and I like the fact that the public relations department of the army had their uh, 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 press releases ready to go in the event <laughs> that everything went pear shaped and people died. They were getting they were getting yeah getting ready to put out <laughs> fake press releases to spin fake it. News. Fake yeah. news. Yeah. Uh, and I've got some of the press releases that they actually did oh, put out. Uh, well, no, I'll, I'll, oh, I'll cover those later. Uh, later, yeah, in the next okay. episode. But 
Yeah. Fortunately, it didn't go badly, so they didn't have to do the air balloon thing, yeah. So my thing is, when you have a very tense situation, everybody's been at this for years, they're all ex- exhausted, they're up all night long, you you can't imagine that anybody's sleeping. Even Groves is starting to snap at people, this had better work or I'm going to hang you. The last thing you need, and let's be honest, I'm not trying to be racist or anything, but the last thing you need is a fucking Italian coming in and getting everybody on everybody's nerves on purpose. But that's exactly what Fermi starts to do. And who does he fuck with? He messes with General Groves, who's already probably on the very edge of madness himself. Groves said that Fermi suddenly offered to take wages from his fellow scientists of whether or not the bomb would ignite the atmosphere, <clears throat> and if so, whether it would merely destroy New Mexico or destroy the entire world. <laughs> I'm going to shoot that bastard. He also said that uh, it wouldn't make any difference whether or not the bomb went off because it would still have been a worthwhile scientific experiment. And if it did fail to go off, it would have proved that an atomic explosion wasn't possible. Um, so they actually created a betting pool, uh, the scientists at Los Alamos, to uh, determine, you know, to take take bets on whether or not it would go off, whether or not it would destroy the world, in which case no one would be around to claim it, so it'd be okay. Um and what the yield of the test would be. Could um, could you walk me hmm. through what it would be like for them if they do the countdown, they push the button, and it doesn't go off, thereby proving that atomic explosion was not possible? <clears throat> yeah, well, yeah, I think it would be uh, a little bit embarrassing uh, for the guys that had been working on this. But All right, everybody. Interestingly, thanks for coming. And they well, let's on. let's let's go down a, a, an alternate history rabbit hole. Let's say it doesn't go off. Ooh, right. Let's say it doesn't go off. It doesn't oh, work. That's deep. What what happens then? You report to Groves. Reports to Stimson. Stimson reports to Marshall or or to Truman. Hey, the bomb is a dud. Terribly sorry. Hoping you're having a really good time at Potsdam. Potsdam. Yeah, but they've they've still got little boy. Ah, little right. boy's gonna go off. They're still certain that little boy's gonna work. They didn't even bother testing little boy, so they still drop a bomb on Hiroshima. Mm-hmm. Um, so they just don't have a plutonium bomb to drop on Nagasaki three days later. So. I don't know if it's going to make a huge difference. I mean, they've got a they've got a an atom bomb, just not a really, really, really big atom bomb. Right. So I don't think it. I don't think it changes anything if if Trinity's a failure. Yeah. Um, now, if Trinity's a failure, and then Little Boy's a failure. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. Then, then you've got an interesting scenario. So then, what happens? So then, they go ahead as originally planned. Um, in the middle of July, Russia or the Soviet Union declares war on Japan, invades Manchuria, right, um, and then the Japanese surrender, and the world avoids the Cold War arms race. So, would the would the physicists in an alternate universe? Do you think there's a there's a version of Oppenheimer? who conspires with his colleagues at Los Alamos mm-hmm. to deliberately 
make both bombs fail. Ooh. Fat Man and Little Boy both fail, so they go, shit, sorry, uh, Frankie. Right. Um, we tried our best. Tried our best, son. It's just not. Um, yeah. It's just not. Yeah, just just not, not going to work. So let's let's avoid. So and I wonder if you could go back if you could if you could have taken Oppenheimer and Fermi and these guys Zillard if you could pick them up in 1950 or 1960 depending on how long each of them lived and taken them back to 19 July 1945 would they have deliberately scuppered these experiments now on one hand maybe nuclear power and all this kind of stuff um doesn't happen maybe it happens anyway maybe maybe someone else does uh discover it maybe the soviets go ahead with it anyway or or, or would the soviets have gone oh well the americans couldn't do it we won't be able to do it let's just you know not waste our time yeah not waste our time and energy and money right right um what ha- what would have happened if you could have taken these guys back after them would they have deliberately Throwing, throwing the, throwing the fight, um, and with all of the negative implications that that may have brought to their scientific careers, uh, even though maybe it wouldn't, because it would have been a top secret. Nobody would have ever known that they did it outside of a very small circle. Potentially, might might have come out decades later. But uh, would that have been a good thing to avoid the Cold War? Uh. I guess my and yeah. and just and sorry and just what's going on today in the world? Okay, you know, fucking the whole North Korea thing. Oh, they've got a nuclear weapon now. Trump's pulled out of the Iran nuclear deal, and <laughs> with the with the genius piece of logic, uh, the deal sucks because when the deal finishes, they'll be able to build a nuclear bomb. So let's scupper the deal now, so they can start work on a nuclear bomb right now, now yeah. instead of seven years from now, whatever it is. It's ge- genius logic there. From your president. I think too much spray tan has seeped into his skin and damaged his brain. That would be my guess on that. Yeah, because everybody else is like, no, no, no. I mean, if we can delay them for 10 years, why wouldn't you want to? And, and, and try to give yourself other options. But that's for the Bullshit the News show, which I'm sure we'll be covering um, soon. Because, yeah, this is a crazy position that he's put us in. Yes, we'll be covering that on Monday. Um if you're not listening to our Bullshit Filter, the news show, you should be. It's free. Go up to yeah. bullshitfilter.com. Uh, every Monday, we put out a news show um, just covering three, four, five top stories that have interested us. Science, politics, technology in the last week. Um, yes. So anyway, I just think it's interesting that even at this juncture, after all this work, the scientists from Los Alamos aren't really sure if this is going to work. And, and they're, they're placing bets on whether or not it's going to work and how much yield it would generate. And the yields that they were betting on ranged from zero <laughs> Dud. to 45,000 tonnes of TNT. Wow. So even the greatest fucking scientific minds in the United States and after Europe. three yeah. or four years of work on this... 2.2 billion aren't sure it's going to work. That is, that's astounding to me. Yeah. Well, that, I would have thought, 
that they would have gone, yeah, you know, we well, look, we've done, we know what we're doing here. We're the we're the best of the best, motherfucker. Right. We we you know we 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 know our shit. We we get paid big bucks to do this. We we know we know what's going on. Um, but no, they're like, yeah, well, fucking man, maybe it won't work at all. Well, one, that's what the rabbit foot is for. Two, um, if if you can take the emotion, I think they did know. I mean, if you take the emotion out, if you take the fear, if you take the apprehension out, these guys have been crunching the numbers. They know something's going to happen. But I think maybe just the sheer scale of what they are doing, what they're about to do, what they're about to embark on that's going to change history uh, forever. Maybe it just freaked them out so much that they were doubting themselves. But that's just kind of one way that I read it, the, read the emotional factor. Mm. All right. Well, Fermi was willing to put money on the fact that the test would wipe out all life on Earth um, <laughs> Damn with special odds uh, on just destroying the entire state of New Mexico. So <laughs> you got to love Fermi. Um, and at 4 a.m., the rain stopped. And that's where we're going to leave it this week, Ray. We'll be back next week with... Uh, the, the compelling conclusion to the Trinity Test Series. Find out. Come back next week. Find out if the test worked or not. We'll hold you in suspense for the next week. An iron curtain has descended across the continent. military buildup on the island of Cuba. The purpose of these bases can be none other than to provide a nuclear strike capability against the Western Hemisphere.